0: And so we did, right? We filled our duty. Kind of, I'm just kidding. We talked about resurrection because it's powerful, right? It's a life-altering, life-changing moment. Easter's unbelievable, right? Just the reality of it. And so uh, we 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 talked about the resurrection, and we said the greatest way for us to celebrate and talk about the resurrection is by looking at those who were most impacted in the moment by the resurrection of jesus and obviously that would be those who were closest to him so we told the the story of the disciples and and we told the story of uh, of uh, their uh, their experience with Jesus. And remember we talked about that time they're sitting in the room and all of a sudden Jesus just pops into the room, right? He kind of just shows up. You know, I was telling Randall, I thought it was a pretty funny joke. She didn't laugh, but I was like, you know, I, I could just see Jesus, you know, uh, sitting there with the uh, angel Gabriel said, hey, watch this. I'm told to freak him out. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to pop into the presence and I'm like, oh, hey, peace be with you. And it's going to be, watch this. And all the angels are like, watch this. Jesus is about to do that thing again. Boom, and they're like, ah, it's a ghost. Peace be with you. Did you see that? That was awesome, right? Jesus loves practical jokes. Don't forget that. So anyway, so there's this whole thing going down. He comes in, this practical joke moment, and but you know, seriously, it's a divine moment, very powerful, it changes the life of the disciples forever. Because what happens is the resurrection of Jesus caused something powerful that for them. We said last week it caused their own resurrection. Resurrection. Remember, they were just devastated. They were, they were broken. Everything had died inside of them. And all of a sudden, Jesus literally just pops into the room and everything changes. He said they brought about a, he brought about a resurrection of peace. He said, peace be with you. We said it's like that type of peace that when you're a kid and you're scared of the dark and it's thundering and lightning, which compounds that fear. And all of a sudden, your mom or your dad walks in. It's like the fear dissipates. The fear dissipates. I just need to say this real quick. My dad wore underwear. (laughs) Do you remember last week, and I talked about my dad, when he would walk, I would call up my... Remember, I called out and I said, I would call up, Mom, Dad, in the thunderstorm. Do you remember this? And I said, and I always wanted my mom to come because she had more clothes on. Like, half the church thought he was naked. (laughs) And so I left... (laughs) Does that make sense? Like, I left, and my dad's like... And my my, my stepmom goes, You just said your dad didn't have any underwear on. I'm like, No, no, no. I just didn't say anything. They just imagined it. (laughs) Tisk tisk on you. Shame, shame, right? Sorry, I just had to clarify that for my dad. He was really embarrassed. He actually loved it, but it was kind of embarrassing for him. So I wanted to clarify that. So anyway, so when they would come into the room... (laughs) When they would come... Sorry, I just had to do that. That's That's a family moment. Welcome to the family. That's just one of our moments, right? So anyway... (laughs) That was so funny. I got home and felt really embarrassed for myself and for my dad and for y'all. It's like, my gosh, I just, anyway. So, um, so anyways, my, my dad steps in in his underwear, he steps into the room and, and seriously, so all the, and peace comes. You remember that? You remember those moments when you're just like, ah, and peace steps in. you're like, I can't even believe I felt that way before. This is what happened for the disciples. Jesus walks into the room. They encounter him. And there's peace. And they're like, I can't believe I was so afraid. And it encompassed everything about them. Then he talked about a resurrection of joy joy in their life we said that joy is this abiding just never-ending contentment even in the midst of storms in the midst of difficulties of life he said there are moments when we're happy we're like yeah this is so great but they're fleeting but joy is those moment are those moments or is that that thing that happens that just it invades every part of you and you're just content when listen joy is really joy when there shouldn't be any joy when there's just such a deep abiding contentment in you that just shouldn't be there. And we use that phrase that's been around since before I was born. It's, that, it's the, the, the the joy that passes understanding, right? The peace that passes understanding, right? That whole kind of thing of Jesus moving and bringing this joy that invades every part of you, even though it shouldn't be there, but it is. And he says, and resurrection comes. And the resurrection in your life, it's like this joy. It's like... Everything may not be perfect, but there's just this, it's like a well inside of you that just continually is pumping out water, right? We said there was a resurrection of calling in the life of the disciples. Remember, here they are, poor guys. They're stuck. They're not happy. They're overwhelmed. They're depressed, probably. And everything they've been hoping for just goes away. And then what happens? Jesus shows up and he says, just as the Father has sent me, hey, ah, I'm sending you. There's calling in your life. Everything you thought that you had died, have you ever had anything in your life that you thought died? Or maybe that it literally did. And there's this resurrection hope because we said that there's a resurrection of calling, a resurrection that Jesus is saying, Listen, I'm just as I've called, I was called, now I am calling you. And we said the resurrection was not an event that happened. It's an event that is being expressed and experienced every day of our life. If we engage it, right? If we enter into a relationship with him, he said it's important that we're encountering Jesus. The disciples encountered him and it happened. It's really, really good. So, so what I want to do this week is this. I want to launch into a conversation about breakthrough about breakthrough. Uh, resurrection brought about a life breakthrough, right? And so I'm in a season where we're just getting diff- these different things that people are hearing from God as it relates to who we are as a people, right? How many of you know that when you sit down with Jesus and you listen to him, he speaks, right? And so people are sitting there having, a, having their relationship with Jesus and all of a sudden he's just speaking into the moment, he's speaking into their life, he's speaking, uh, we use it biblically, they use the word prophetically, just the things that God is doing, Right, he's speaking these things. People are having dreams about some things that God is doing. How many of you know Joel talked about the in the end times? We all the men, old men will dream dreams, right? And we'll begin to hear the voice of God in all these different ways. And how many of you know that God can speak any way He wants to because He revealed it by speaking through a donkey. Remember Balaam? He's, God says, "I got this prophet. This guy won't listen to me, so I'm going to have to speak through a donkey." And so God's voice came through a donkey. He's unashamed to speak any way he wants to, just as long as we'll hear him, and he's speaking. And so God's speaking today to us, and he's speaking to all these people at Vintage, and he's speaking about this. He's speaking using the analogy of water, saying that God wants to—and it has been several things. I mean, it's like one thing after the, other, for the last couple of weeks, God is speaking again and again, and again, and again, just through dreams. One of my favorite dreams was this: was Kathy Cox. She had a dream of a tsunami. She was in a house, and she knew a tsunami was coming, and she was super excited about it, but nervous at the same time. And all of a sudden, the tsunami hit. It flooded the house that she was in, lifted her up to the top, and spit her out with this this wave that was cascading across the community. And she woke up, and she just basically said, you were created for such a time as this. My glory is coming, right? My spirit's moving. It's this powerful moment, right? There's all these other things that God is speaking. What it all speaks to for me is this breakthrough that God is doing in our own individual lives and the life of our church and what he wants to do in our community. And so what I want to do is is I want to spend the next several weeks talking in this area of breakthrough, kind of as a follow tagging on to the ultimate breakthrough that happens through resurrection. And I want to do it by continuing on in John chapter 20, looking at the life of Thomas and looking at the life of Peter, because there's something exciting about looking at their lives because they just kind of look like us. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 20. We're going to look at verses 24 through 28. Let's go ahead and pull that first verse up, Chase. It says this. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. How many of you would have gotten that on a multiple choice test? Who was not with the disciples? It was Thomas, right? So the other disciples told him, Hey, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas said, Unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. So a week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time. But the doors were locked again. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Hey, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. So, we don't know what's going on with Thomas. Where was he? Was he out? Was he out, you know, running some errands? Was he taking care of his mom? Was he having a long extended time in the bathroom because of something bad he ate the night before? We have no idea. Scripture is silent on it. We just know that he wasn't there. And so Jesus shows up and, and, and Thomas doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe it because Thomas, I believe, is just really smart. He's like, listen, I believed he was the man and he died. I don't see him now. Part of me's not died. I'm not just gonna jump back on the bandwagon because you tell me, how can I trust you? How do I believe how can I believe that Jesus is really alive unless I see it? Right? There's just this, this barrier in his life of doubt and unbelief. And at the same time, who knows? Maybe there's something going on emotionally. Maybe he feels rejected. Well, why didn't Jesus come when I was there? I mean, he's moving in, he's moving over here in, in this guy's life. Why is he moving in my life? I mean, he's really present over here. They're really they're super excited. I'm not excited. What's wrong with me? Is there something... Does God not love me as much? I'm not... Maybe, maybe not. Again, I'm just kind of reading... I'm just thinking of human beings and our nature and how we relate, right? You you can't bank on that. But there's something going on in the life of Thomas. And he's wrestling. And obviously there's this unbelief. It talks about that, right? And there's just this whole thing going down. And so Jesus has been resurrected, yet its impact had yet to be felt by Thomas. He's not experiencing. His own resurrection had yet to occur... And he was in need of this breakthrough in his life. He was in need of breakthrough. So then we get on down to Peter. Now, you know the story of Peter, right? All this stuff has happened. And then Peter, one day, something's going on in his own heart. And we get to that a little bit. But he's like, I just got to go fishing. Listen, I've been there. There have been moments that I'm just like, yeah. Gotta go fishing, right? So I just grab my poles, and I don't care where I'm going, I'm going to some lake and I'm gonna go fishing, right? I don't want anybody coming with me, right? I'm gonna pull my hat down real low. I hope my neighbors don't recognize me. I'm going fishing, right? And so I'm sitting there in the month. So Peter's he's going fishing, all these disciples go with him. You know the story. Remember? They go out, they fish all night, and they catch absolutely nothing. I've never experienced that, right? So they catch nothing. I've never experienced that. I really have, I'm just kidding. And so they're sitting there doing their thing and and they don't catch anything. Remember the story? They're coming in. Listen, there's nothing more. Fra- if you've ever been fishing, and listen, I've fished plenty of tournaments in my life, and come in having zeroed, right? You've gotten skunk, catch nothing. It's like you don't want to see anybody because you're just like, you feel, you're just, I mean, it's terrible, right? And so they're going to make fun of you and all this kind of stuff. So they're coming in, and all of a sudden, this dude on the beach, we name, we name him Jesus. Now, this dude, they couldn't see him because of a distance about 100 yards away. He says, hey, have you caught anything? They said, oh, I mean, maybe. No, we've got a couple nibbles here and there. No, we haven't caught anything. He says, throw your net on the other side side they're like uh uh, we've experienced this before take the nets throw it over and there's 152 fish so much they can they came and pulled into the boat they just dragged the nets to shore and then john john says it is the lord and then we know what happens. Peter does this thing, his impulsive thing. He just goes and takes off his clothes and he dives. Remember, he had quite his underwear on still, right? And he dives into the water and he swims his hundred yards. It's 100 yards. That's a long way. Peter's old. He's like 40, right? And so he's sitting there swimming, right? And he's coming in. I don't know how old he is really, but he's having this thing because he's so excited. And he's so passionate and they get in, and Jesus says, bring some of those fish over. And who knows, he may have gut them himself. Maybe he just, ha- we just, know he just has fish, right? He has fish there, and he's cooking them. And they eat. And then we get to John 21, 15 through 19. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. He says, I'll tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Follow me. So as far as we know, because Scripture is silent, Peter is present there with the disciples when jesus shows himself the very first time that he comes right he's experienced the resurrection he's experienced the peace he's experienced the joy he's experienced the calling again from from jesus but how many of you know that there was something that went down right after the garden of gethsemane where peter says listen no matter what happens i will i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm going to fight for you and be by your side and jesus looks and says he's He because i love you and Jesus says, "Trust me. You will actually deny me three times." And Peter says, "No, no, I would never!" Right in his zeal and his passion, that impulsive nature of who he is. No, no, no. You, I will be with you. And of course, you know the story. It says that Peter denied him three times, like back to back to back. And it says that Peter went off and he just wept. He was undone. And the great question that was stirring in the heart of Peter is. Do I really love him? How could I do that? How could I deny him if I truly loved him? And so what we find in this moment is there's just this dynamic still going on in the life of Peter. There's still yet to to be this this breakthrough of sorts. He's experienced this to a degree, his breakthrough to a degree. But he has this thing that has to happen in his own life where there has to be a breakthrough from condemnation and of guilt in questioning, do I really love Jesus? Do you ever have that where there's these questions? That just go on and on and on in your mind about your commitment to God, about your love to God, about where you stand with Him, and you want to say. And so, what do you normally do? Well, you're like Peter, and you become extra passionate and extra zealous, right? That you would be saying, "Yeah, I would totally just jump out of a boat and swim." I, I want to prove to myself maybe that I love Him, and I can prove by being oh, really, really excitable, right? And maybe I, and maybe in doing that, can prove it. To Jesus, listen. For the first several years of my marriage to Randall, if we got into a fight and she recognized she was wrong, she would she would rarely tell me. She would just make me dinner, right? She, I mean, she made me a special dinner. I'm not talking like, in like, a, I'm talking like a, I'd come home and the crock pot would be going and there'd be like special stuff going on. And at first, I'm like, man, this is great. What she doing? Well, I kind of hit me about about. about a year in. Oh, she only does this if she feels bad, like she's let me know. She's going overboard, right? She's going overboard to bring, to make this meal for me because she feels guilty. She's going above and beyond, right? I did the same thing. If I do something, I make my wife guilty. What do I do for like 48 hours? I'm super compassionate and loving and caring. I'm like, oh my gosh, honey, let me carry that plate for you, right? I'm just like super sweet and super nice. She's like, what are you doing? I just love you. You look great in that. She's like, I just woke up with morning. Bread looked terrible. No, honey, you look awesome, right? Because I'm just going over and above and beyond, right? There's this whole thing, and Peter's doing that. There's this whole part of him that's like, ah, ah. And so when the the disciples see him being this, he doesn't think he's being impulsive like he is always. But I believe what's going on in the heart of Peter is that there's just this thing. He's kind of overcompensating, kind of, trying to show because he's trying to prove it to himself and wants to make sure that Jesus knows what's going on. So what we find is, is for both of these guys, for both of them, there was this breakthrough that was needed. The resurrection had happened. Thomas wasn't there to see Jesus. Peter had been. But there was still something going on in their life. There was still a breakthrough that needed to happen. There was a, there were barriers in their life that were hindering the resurrection from fully, fully being released and experienced in their lives. And God wanted to bring breakthrough into their lives. What I want to say to us in this room is the heart of God is the same for us as that, in that He wants to bring breakthrough. Listen, He wants to bring breakthrough in our lives from the barriers that are hindering his resurrection being fully experienced of, of joy and of peace and of calling and of His love being released into our lives. Several years ago, I, was, I took a nap. I, was, you know, I, had a, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm having to really focus and I'm really tired. I take like a five-minute power nap, right? So I set my, I set my clock over here. I like set it for ten minutes. It takes me five minutes to fall asleep. Takes me five minutes to sleep, then I can wake up. Right. I wake up and, and it's great. Your mind thinks the best right after you wake up, right? How many of you know like that Ben Franklin and Winston Churchill never slept more than like two hours at a time? They but they would sleep all day long. In fact, um, I think it was uh, Ben Franklin or one of them would, would sleep on a couch and he would put uh, something on his hand. And when he fell asleep, when he was like struggling with an issue, and it would fall out of his hand when he fell asleep and it would wake him up and he'd be in his clearest thought process, right? And so I do this sometimes. I'm having this moment. Does that make sense? Maybe it doesn't make any sense. Anyway, just fall asleep, wake up, and think about stuff. It's great. So anyway, so I'm having this moment where I'm trying to have a power nap. I wake up and I wake up. And I'm wide awake and, and I find and I'm just I'm unconscious of what's going on in my mind, but about five minutes into it, I realize I've been singing a song from the doors. You know, Jim Morrison, the doors. I'm not a huge Jim Morrison fan, not a huge doors fan, but I'm sitting here singing the song, Break on Through to the Other Side, Break On Through, and I have the, the little guitar in the background, right? Shane can help me out. Break on through to the other side. And I'm singing the song just in my mind again and again, and I'm like, what am I doing? And I hadn't been listening to the radio. I definitely hadn't been listening to the doors. And what's going on? And I had this like, what's going on? And God says, I'm speaking to you. I went, huh. and he says, Steve, it is time for a breakthrough from the monotony of life, from the things, from these things that are entangling you. It's time for a breakthrough in your life, a breakthrough to the other side of what I have for you. And I was like, huh. You just use the doors to stop, talk to me. This is amazing, right? He can speak any way he wants to, but there's just this heart of God for breakthrough. There's a heart of God for us for breakthrough, and I believe God is speaking in this season is a moment of breakthrough, that He's doing something new in us. And just like He, he wanted to do this work in the life of the disciples with Thomas and, and what He wanted to do in the life of Peter, He wants to bring breakthrough. And I want to hear you've got to hear me say, and my prayer has been for each of you. Most of us have no idea that God desires to bring breakthrough. And many of us have even, don't have any idea there's even barriers in our lives that are bringing about this breakthrough. What I believe God wants to do in the seasons, he wants to awaken us and he wants to bring us to this breakthrough moment of complete or this daily resurrection that's happening in your life. So... That's what I want to do this morning. I want to launch into the life of Thomas and Peter post-resurrection and see what's going on for them. The first thing I want to say is this. Barriers in our lives, barriers in our lives are real. Barriers are real. Now, barriers can take on many different forms, right? So we use different words. We describe them, well, I just feel like I'm in a rut, right? We understand that a rut is just this, like, thing in the road, and you can't get your tires out of it, right? Back, especially back in the day when there was a horse-drawn buggy, there were these ruts that were created by the mud, and you just couldn't get the wagon out of it, right? So there's just these, you feel like you're stuck in a rut. You just can't go anywhere. Maybe you feel like you've you you, you you've hit a wall, I'm living my life and I hit a wall. Wall is a barrier in your life. It's keeping you from moving forward. Or maybe you, you name it as chains. I feel like I'm moving forward and this chains is pulling back down. The analogies in our lives are endless as it relates to barriers, but we all know we experience them in our lives. Thomas, I believe he, I believe he hit a wall. He hit a, a wall of disbelief. He hit a, he hit a wall of doubt and he, he wouldn't. He wouldn't go any farther unless he saw Jesus for himself, unless he saw the scars. Peter, Peter was in chains, I believe he was in the, the, the chains of condemnation, the chains of, of guilt that he was sitting there and even though he had encountered... The presence of Jesus after the resurrection, he had encountered this release of peace and of, and of joy and a, and, a, and a release of calling in his life. I believe that the, this barrier of condemnation was keeping it from flowing fully in his life. And Jesus recognized, wow, there has to be breakthrough in these guys' lives because I have an important calling on their life. Things that I'm calling them to do that make them unique in this season of time, I've got to use and There has to be breakthrough through in their life. Barriers are real, and they're real in the life of Thomas and Peter. Second thing we see is that barriers, they must come down. Barriers must come down. Think about it. We all know barriers keep impede the flow of something we know you have a river you put a dam there what happens it impedes the flow of the river and everything south of the river goes dry or there's a little bit it's a little bitty stream coming down you you know you're sitting there washing your car right and you need to you need to, you need to take the nozzle off so what do you do you you crimp the hose a couple of times it impedes the flow of water what do you have it's a little of trickle coming out right but the, the water is impeded from flowing you know five, you know, five o'clock traffic on a Friday, someone gets in a wreck, what happens? It impedes the flow. A barrier has happened. You don't want your dog to run, what do you do? You stick your dog on a chain, it gets into the chain, and its, its flow of continuing to run has been stopped. And impeded. That's what's happening here. Barriers must come down. There's a myriad of these barriers that we experience in our life. Thomas specifically said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe it. His unbelief and his doubt, they represented a barrier in his life. And understandably so, we talked about this was a huge deal to believe that Jesus had been resurrected, that he was still living. This is an amazing thing, and he needed proof. All of us understand this. We're all realists in life. We've experienced moments like this as well. I'm not sure if I trust you unless I have proof of whatever it may be, right? We understand this, and and Thomas is here. He would not believe there was a barrier impeding his flow. We see poor Peter over here, right? His barrier is much less obvious except to Jesus. As far as everyone else knew, Peter had fully experienced the peace and the joy and the calling, right? He's like, Woohoo, and he's being his impulsive himself. When he jumped out of the boat, they probably chuckled and said, there goes Peter being Peter again, right? He's back to him old self again. Just bring Jesus along and look what happens. Peter's back, right? They're probably celebrating this moment. It's a good thing, but... Peter knows there's something not right. There's something different. There's something going on in his life that's impeding the flow of, of, of whatever it is in his life for Jesus. He's, he, he's excited but feels this weight at the same time, right? This kind of chain in his life. And he's just sitting there going, what is this? I'm, I'm doing the same things. And Jesus is, is is relating to me the same way. But something feels different in here. And what I would say is I believe that Jesus is looking at Peter saying, you are wrestling and there's a chain in your life and you don't even know if you love me anymore you don't even know you think that you do you know that you know but maybe you don't because how could you have denied me and there's this tension going on there's this deep barrier that's affecting him emotionally have you read these barriers in your life that affect you emotionally Physically and even spiritually in your life, and you're just like, what's going on? And I believe that Peter is feeling this exact same thing. No one knew. Peter probably didn't even fully know what was going on, but Jesus knew. Jesus knew. Jesus and both of them recognized these barriers that were keeping them from fully experiencing and walking in the reality of the resurrection in their life, and they have these barriers, which leads to number three. In my opinion, God... Excuse me, barriers... Equal God moments. Barriers equal God moments. Not necessarily the barrier in your life, but barriers equal those moments of God needing to move in your life. When I was about six or seven years old, I forget, I had this evil neighbor named Ashley. Ashley was about about a year younger than me. And we were best of friends, but more importantly, worst of enemies, right? And so one day our families went to the lake, and I and had this really cool red raft. It was one of those see-through rafts, right? You know what I'm talking about? And and I have my red raft, and, and Ashley comes up. She's like, give me your raft. I'm like, you can't have my raft. There's this whole thing going on. And listen, I was in the water, and she had the upper ground on me. So she went to push me. And she had all the all the leverage. That's why she pushed me down. I mean, normally I could have totally pushed her back, but in the moment she totally pushed me down, and I went into the water with the raft on top, and now her on top of the raft, and I'm pinned underneath the raft under the water, and I can't do anything. There is a barrier between me and breath. And I am doing everything I know to do to get to my best friend breath, right? And I'm sitting there pushing, and she's a big girl, right? And so she's doing her thing, and I'm, like, pushing, and I can't get it, and I'm pulling down, and I'm just... And I have the panic moment. I am drowning. There is a barrier, and I am dying, and I can do nothing about it. And I'm looking through the red raft, and I see her evil grin... And I see the sun trying to shine through over here, and I'm thinking, I'm done for. And then, here comes a shadow flying. And the next thing I know, Ashley is in the air flying with the raft, landing on the ground hurting herself because my mom just came in and intervened. My mom saw me being drowned, and she came over, didn't, didn't care about the mom back here, went boom, right? She was about this tall, right? She goes boom and chucked Ashley across. I don't care. I don't know where she landed, right? But my mom came and picked me up and just grabbed me and took me back to her chair because, listen, my mom intervened. There was a need for a breakthrough to breath. My mom came down, and she intervened in a place and in a way that I could not remove the breath barrier and allowed me to meet breath again. When there are barriers in our lives, it equals God moments. Because in those moments, God wants to come down and remove the barrier and chuck it out of our lives. Thomas is sitting there in the moment. He's completely undone, feeling completely left behind. And what happens? Jesus steps into the moment, says he's playing his game with the disciples and with the angels. And he says, peace be with you. And he does this. He directs straight right here. And he says, "Tom." Thomas, he says, Thomas, and then he speaks these words. And he looks at him and says, Peter, excuse me, he says, Thomas, put your fingers here and you see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Jesus was not present when Thomas said this. Jesus was not there and no one had told him. He stepped into the moment. He saw the barrier in his life and he spoke directly to it with what we call a prophetic statement birthed out of discernment. He just knew something he couldn't have known except by him just knowing it because God spoke into his life. He is God now, right? Because Thomas looks at him and says, my Lord and my God. Thomas recognizes that something's different. You see, you need to understand, in, in today's world, we think, oh yeah, my Lord and my God. We say it all the time, oh Lord, we pray that you be with us, God. We name them like six different names in one sentence when we pray. It's amazing, oh dear Heavenly Father Jesus, that we love so much, God. Holy Father, come and move, right? We just do that when we pray, right? So we do this whole thing right here, and you say, my Lord and my God. Now, this is important because this is 100% blasphemous. Because every single Jew knows that the Lord our God is one God. He is one God. And now Thomas, who is a fantastic Jew, who has been worshiping in a monotheistic way his entire life. Well, one God, monotheism, right? One God, worshiping God, Yahweh, God, now looks and says, Lord my God. As he looks at a man. Listen, back in the day and age, they weren't talking about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the word Trinity back in the day, right? But we have a revelation right here that something was going on in Thomas where he looked and said, Resurrection has just happened in my life. My Lord and my God has spoken into me with something that only God could know. Jesus, you truly are God. This is an unbelievable moment. Remember, Jesus got crucified because he was putting himself in an equal place with God. And we know for the first for the first time, this is probably the very the very first time that Thomas is stating that Jesus is God. Now what I want you to get, if you're like, I don't understand what that means, all you need to understand is this. This is a big deal. I mean, this is huge for him. This is just otherworldly it'd be like me doing something miraculous and 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 you come into saying oh steve my lord my god that is oh my you don't do that here don't come ever say that to me right but he's thomas is saying it it's a really huge deal and what it points to very clearly is that thomas has now experienced resurrection He's now experienced the uncrimping of the hose, and Jesus, the Holy Spirit's flowing with peace and with joy. Listen, I've driven by the mountain where Thomas was martyred in India. He literally, his trajectory of life changed, and that's what legend says. That He went from where he was in Jerusalem all the way down to India, into into Madras or Chennai, they call it today, and he was martyred there for his faith. This is amazing. This barrier was gone, and now he was able to see Jesus for who he was. Then we see Peter. You know, Peter, in the same way, he's on the beach, and, and Jesus looks at him and begins to ask him these questions. And he asks him these three questions, right? Remember, basically, three different ways. He says, Do you love me? Do you truly love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? And the one, last one, Peter says, Peter is hurt. He's hurt by Jesus. He says, Jesus, only you really know. What, what's going, you really, only you really know my love. And you're like, oh, I was kind of mean of Jesus to kind of do that. What's he it's like digging in? Well, let me say this. Peter probably couldn't fully name what the barrier was in his life. And Jesus came because he's Jesus with discernment. He just sees things that he can't see physically. And looks into the heart of Peter and says, it's the love. It's this question about loving me, and so he puts his finger on it, and he says, "Peter, do you love me?" Peter's like, "Yeah, I love you." He's like, "No, do you? Do you really love me?" I, I love you. No, Peter, do you truly love me? And Peter hurt and broken says, "Truly, only you know." It's this like revelation, Jesus, you know. And the part that you can't miss, which is where Jesus is. Basically letting him know, yes, I know that you love me. And yes, you now can know that you fully love me. He shows it by saying this. He says, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Why is that important? Because what he just did is said, saying, here's your calling. Gee, listen, Jesus is an ultimately released Peter to be the foundation of the church future church unless he knew that Peter's heart was right and he wanted to and he knew his heart was right but he had to get Peter to the place of knowing you have a calling he's pulling out his calling and it's imperative that you know that I know that you know for yourself that you fully love me with everything in you because I know it and it's important for you to know that's why I'm putting my finger on not to be mean but to call out the very thing that you were wrestling with inside of your your heart, The thing that's condemning you, the thing you're feeling guilt over, is this thing, do you really love me? And I'm letting you know I trust you so much with your love that I am giving you a calling again to tend for the entire world who are my sheep. And in Peter, there's this divine revelation. And then he expresses the type of love that Peter's actually going to have. Because by saying, listen, there's going to be a day right now you go where you want to go and you clothe yourself. But listen, there's a day that's going to come when you are going to be led like I was with a cross and you're going to be crucified upside down because of your love being so true to me. You will not deny me again. This is the resurrection that happened in the life of Peter. This is the resurrection that happened in the life of Thomas. And it caused them to literally have this release of everything, the breaking of chains, the tearing down of barriers. And it all happened because Jesus intervened because barriers equal God moments in our life. And if you're coming this morning with these barriers, these places of brokenness, these things where you feel like your hose is crimped, you're stuck in a rug, you're bound by chains, I want to tell you, you are underneath the raft and nothing can get you out except intervention by God. And that, my friends, is good news because he wants to intervene. That's why he brought the resurrection. That's why he's pouring out his spirit upon us today it's why he's bringing this message of breakthrough and him filling us with this water of his spirit representing his holy spirit because he wants to do something in us because like peter there's a divine calling on each of your life and he wants to break down the barriers in your life so that you can listen so you can stop being so self-absorbed and self-focused that you spend 90 percent of your day thinking about and talking about yourself and how hurt you are and how broken and he wants to move you beyond that barrier by crushing it down so you can be released into that day where you can, like Thomas, if you have to be a martyr in India, you can be because you will say, God, wherever you want to go, there's no barrier in my life and resurrection has happened in my life and now I am truly living for you, my Lord and my God. It is good, good, good news. And you've been Buffing up against if you've been hitting barriers for the last thirty years, God wants to break the barrier down. You've been doing it for thirty for for thirty minutes. He wants to move in your life. So, here's what we're gonna do this morning. It's ten thirty four. We got other people about to come in here. You can go ahead and stand. What I want to do from right here is I'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna have, as we always do, we always close our time with a time of ministry. And we'll do that in a few minutes, and Tate will come and lead us in some worship, and uh, that'll be great.